Hey everyone, welcome to Operations, the show where we look under the hood of companies in hypergrowth. My name is Sean Lane. It's kind of amazing how often inside of a hypergrowth company you have to reinvent yourself. We talk a lot at Drift about what got us here isn't going to be the thing that gets us to the next stage. And that's a hard thing to accept sometimes, especially when what got you here has been pretty successful. Today, we're going to explore one of those significant moments of transition, how companies move up market and start to sell into larger enterprise companies. And our guide through that transition is someone who has not only been there, done that, but he's actually done it three different times, and he's about to do it for the fourth time. Our guest today is Anil Kumar. Anil is the Vice President of Go-To-Market Strategy and Operations at Carta, the equity management platform. And prior to joining Carta, Anil worked at SIFT, Atlassian, and Quantcast and helped all of them move up market. So he's seen this movie before. In our conversation, we talk about the focus that's required to move up market. We talk about why the enterprise sellers you'll need in your organization should be pioneers and not settlers. And we're going to cover how your post-sale customer success model likely needs to completely change in order to service these enterprise customers. Again, what got you here isn't going to get you there. As we started our conversation, though, I thought it would be helpful to put a stake in the ground about what we mean when we say moving to the enterprise. How do you define enterprise? Can you even define enterprise? That's why Anil is here. It's funny because you want a black and white, but but there is none. Like I've worked for companies in which enterprise is 2,000 and above employee count, 5,000 and above employee count, 10,000 and above employee count. I'm currently at a company in which it's like 200 plus in employee count. And what's crazy about that, right, is you know ultimately the way I think about enterprise is the complexity of the sales motion, the complexity of the sales motion. And then from there, relatively, what's the, the ACV or the contract value relative to, to you know, other products or things that you're selling? But typically speaking, folks tend to cut it by either employee count, by the revenue of the company itself, or the revenue that you're bringing in. But ultimately, to me, it's about how complex is that sales motion relative to what you're used to doing. Perfect. And so I think that regardless of the employee count, right, that complexity of sales motion is what anybody can relate to relative to where where they are at this moment in time. And so one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you about this is that you've done this three different times at three different companies, Quantcast, Atlassian, and Sift. And so I'm curious, as you look back at the times where you went through this motion of let's not call it moving to the enterprise, but let's call it moving up market or moving into a more complex sales motion. When you look back, are you able to now in retrospect kind of pull out either commonalities or lessons that you learned and say, oh, this is what it means to go through that process? You know, it's a funny thing, but it all comes back to focus. If you walk into, you know, all of us are going through 2021 planning right now. Right. If you walk into your planning cycle and you say, hey, I want to move up market. I want to start cross selling a new product to folks and I'm going to go into a new geo. You're going to fail. You're going to straight up fail. The probability of actually being able to do all three of those and put meat on the bone of actually executing on those growth initiatives. That's really, really difficult. But I put that out there because every one of us goes through that conversation where we got bright eyes and, and we're thinking about next year's growth, and we want to do all things at once. 
So to go back to your question, when you're thinking about moving up market, the best thing that you can possibly do, whether you're in operations, whether you're on the revenue side of the house, is just remember that extreme, extreme focus is the name of the game. And the more you do that, the better, because what, at least in my experience, what I've realized across when we did this at Quantcast, when we did this at Atlassian and SIFT and now at Carta is you're going to spend that first year or that first phase just learning a ton about the new market, learning how to actually sell to them, how to market to them, what that all means. And you, you can't cheat that. I don't know how else to put it. You can't cheat that time of learning how to do that and do that well, which is why focus is so, so key. Anil's experience of doing this three different times is going to be our cheat sheet for this conversation. A lot of companies say they want to move up market, but how do you bring the level of focus and discipline that he's talking about into the process? First, he explained that you just simply need time. According to Anil, it takes a full year to just learn about the segment that you're trying to move into. Okay, so let's say that you've made that decision at your company and you want to move up market. Where do you even begin? It's almost like starting a new business. That's, that's kind of the way I think about it. It's starting a new business with the one difference being you've got money in the bank. You know you've been successful at this thing that's gotten you here. So you have that confidence. But if you don't treat it as a new business with the requisite failure or chance of failure involved, you're almost doing yourself a disservice. You know, you and I were talking about Drift actually the other day and what you're going through. And it was so exciting to hear that you were thinking about moving up market. But as you thought through, or as we kind of started really digging into it, there, there were questions around, well, does, does our customer change? Does our customer base that we're targeting change? Do the competitors that we're selling against actually change? Is our differentiation, either our product, our services, all of it, does that change or is it the same as what we're putting together? Once you start answering those questions around, you know, what does that competitive landscape look like? What is my actual product value? How do I differentiate myself and who our customers are? Then and only then can you get to the real meat of this thing, which is figuring out, all right, from there, realistically, who can I go after? What is the size of that market? And who do I need to actually go after and successfully sell? So specifically, how does our seller profile change? How does our actual go-to-market change? So let's talk about each of those, right? So first, in terms of who do I need to go after, I would imagine, and, and through our experience of doing it, to your point, at Drift, the, let's call it like firmographic qualities of the companies, I think have to change a little bit, right? Not just in, yeah. So so how have you gone about doing that, right? Like Because what has gotten you to this point is not necessarily going to be the thing that gets you to the next level, right? And so if you just try and copy and paste your scoring system and say, okay, in this part of the market... I know that these three factors make an account an A, right? Should I just copy and paste those into my upmarket and say, okay, these we should look for these same criteria? Like, how do I know whether or not I'm going to fail doing it that way? Absolutely. Well, if you, if you do do it that way, you're likely going to fail. Um, I, I think it's almost, <laughs> and it's crazy though, right? Because we all do it. it like, like every one of my stops, like we have done some version of that. Where we're like, oh, all right. You know, if I run a regression and I figure out these are the attributes, either by, by vertical or by product feature that have done really well for me, that historical precedent doesn't predict future success, particularly when it's a completely different customer. Almost always, it's always going to be different. What you got to do is go to the second, third, fourth, fifth level and think through it and think about if we use Drift or Sift as examples, 
what is this thing that really makes my product must have? What is that pain point that we are solving that nobody else can solve as good as us? Once you really, really get to what is it that is that thing? What is that secret sauce? Then you then have to pair it to, all right, in a upmarket customer, what are the things that they are looking for? And when I start to think about what is must have about me and what makes me really, really special, so strategic, differentiated, defensible, of those things, what are the ones that still make sense when you're going up market? And chances are, if there are like 10 things that, that, that are in fact strategic, differentiated, and defensible about you, only two or three are going to match when, when you look at the enterprise customer and their needs. And at the same time, their needs are going to be completely different, right? The security aspect of what you do has got to be so, so important. The ability to scale, to be robust in terms of actually supporting something at that grade. And then lastly, the service component. A lot of times things that you know your customers tended to appreciate about you but were nice to have all of a sudden become must-haves in an enterprise or upmarket function. And things that customers didn't really care that much about, all of a sudden they care a ton about or vice versa. The other thing that I think is interesting too is like, you made a point before about focus. And I feel like, especially in the lower parts of the market, you can kind of get away with, oh, our product does this and it does this and it does this. And you can kind of choose your own adventure within this thing. But like, I think as you move further up market, the company that you're selling to is also probably going to have a much more narrow scope for what they're looking for you to do. Do do you agree with that? Totally, totally. I, I was just thinking through that, right? All of us always think, you know, you get to, to, to product market fit, you're scaling, you've got this great, great growth. That is when this question becomes natural, that in 2021, I'm going to go up market, I'm going to go to these new geos, I'm going to start cross-selling, I've got all this funding and these tailwinds, I'm going to do all of them. The reason why that never works is because of what you just said, right? If I go in and say, I'm going to go up market by providing 20 new features in 2021, you're 100% going to fail. What you got to figure out is what are the features that are must have to that customer and are they crazy robust that they're going to stand the test of time for that customer? It really just keeps coming back to focus. And to me, the first time I heard this, to be honest with you, it wasn't totally intuitive to me. I was thinking about cross-selling multiple products across multiple lines of business inside of these huge companies, but Anil's point makes so much more sense. In his language, what are the small handful of things that are strategic, differentiated, and defensible about your product? And what about your product is going to be robust enough to hold up under the scrutiny and the complex use cases of a more mature company? And what about the people who represent your company as you move up market? Another thing that Anil taught me about was that it's a very different and specific profile of seller in the enterprise as well. One of my favorite AEs, Robbie Fabish, enterprise seller at, at SIP. And he was the perfect, perfect profile for somebody like this because he knew how to sell. He understood how to understand very clearly a customer's needs and then translate to them in the most simplest terms how we could provide a good service to them. And I'll never forget this. What he said to me is like, Anil, you don't get it. It's, it's not about our products. It's not about giving all these new products and features to our enterprise customers or prospects. It's just about educating them. It's just about like the hardest thing is getting your foot in the door. And then from there, having a conversation for, with them in which they can have confidence in your product. 
that partnership, that, that education, that building awareness, that's actually more often than not the most important thing that you got to do when you're going up market. Because ultimately, it's a trust game. When you're going after big whale deals, for most of those companies, they've got really complicated procurement processes. There's 10 people who've got to check off on something. Once they got a product, they're not in it with that product forever and ever because the product is the best in the market. They're in it because it's there. So our job as enterprise sellers then, or as folks that are then selling in the upmarket, is to build that awareness of what our product is, to build that trust with a potential customer, and then from there, build a long-term relationship. That's way, way, way more important than saying, I've got 20 cool new bells and whistles, and that's what makes me good in the market. Mm. The other thing that I... I think is super interesting about that, right? It, and you brought this up previously. You said, you know, first and foremost, who are we going to sell to? And then what is the team that we need in order to sell to them? I mean, the example you just gave of, of that rep and that true partnership and that true education, I would say is probably one of the factors. But I would imagine that in your previous experience at some of those other companies, just the profile and the skill sets that you need on your team to successfully go up market are also totally different as well, correct? Yeah, it, it ends up being almost completely different. Like the piece in which the DNA is the same, it goes back to if you treat it as a startup. If you treat going up market as I'm going to experiment and I'm going to learn in that first year, then that's almost like your first 20 million at a startup where the type of AE that you're getting, the type of solutions engineer or customer success or AM that you're getting, the number one thing that they've got to have in their DNA is, are they creative? Literally, can they, they take a playbook that doesn't exist and can they create one in real time? What, what becomes part of that is then can they flex? And then three, can they think about the customer and just run to that pain point regardless of the structure that is or isn't there? You know, same example, Robbie. Robbie's partner in crime was a solutions engineer that was wickedly, wickedly good. We were prospecting into McDonald's at the time. This was a year-long sales cycle. And I kid you not, the SE ended up moving to Chicago. I mean, he was moving because I think his wife was doing a, a grad program there. But it ended up being probably one of the key reasons why we won that deal. Every day, he was basically in McDonald's office in Illinois, just building that relationship, understanding what those needs were, figuring out you know, where the, the product parity was, where it wasn't parity, and what we needed to do, to do to, again, establish that trust with everybody within the procurement side of the business. So if there's anything I could say, it's find pioneers. You don't want settlers, you want pioneers because you're effectively starting a new business and you need people who can be flexible, who can be creative, who can survive in an environment that doesn't have a lot of structure. What you don't want to do and I've done this almost every single time and we end up learning from it. What you don't want to do is say, hey, this is my goal in 2021. I'm going to throw all my marketing dollars at it, all my demand gen folks at it, my entire SDR team, my entire AE team, my entire account management team at this one problem, because that's what I think focus is. That's actually patently false. If you do all that, you're wasting a ton of resources in a really inefficient manner with folks that more than likely aren't actually ready for that step. As Anil describes the profiles of these first handful of enterprise sellers for your company, I couldn't help but think about two of those enterprise pioneers that I've been working with at Drift. Their names are Miles Kane and Evan Cassidy. 
I started at Drift on the same day, actually, as Miles and Evan. And for the past three years, they've been tasked with exploring that upmarket frontier. And they have some, if not all, of the traits that Anil is talking about. They're educators, first and foremost. They bring a level of creativity to their role. And they are the ultimate partners to their customers. Another thing I observed about Miles and Evan and watching them work is that they are incredibly adept at making connections throughout an organization and working their way into different parts of a company. And so I was curious if that was a skill that made Anil's list as well. It for sure is part of the criteria. Like if you look at old school killers who are enterprise sellers from Oracle, they're actually all trained how to multi-thread and multi-thread properly. So that DNA, that, that's got to be part of the DNA. The difference is if you throw somebody with that profile from a big company enterprise, come in with a, a big Rolodex and a huge salary, they're likely not going to be your pioneer. But the DNA behind them of knowing how to multi-thread, knowing how to really understand a business and get to know the customers and build that, that trust over time with one, two, three, four, five folks so that you really know who your champion is, who your decision maker is, and who the other five influencers are, that piece has got to be there. And you know, if you go back to Drift, if you go to Sift, Quantcast, any one of these companies, that's not something that is must-have when you're in SMB or mid-market. Because the faster the sales cycle, the less the sales strategy or the multi-threading is the essential part. What makes you click when you have an ultra-fast sales cycle is you got a compelling event and your customer's interested in you. And chances are, if you're at a good company, you're in the game as one of the top three, top four things that somebody can pick. That's basically the game for us in the admin market. For enterprise, it's totally different. More than likely, you're beating out somebody whose product is actually inferior to yours, but it's about ripping and replacing. Yeah, I feel like if you bring in those true seasoned enterprise reps too early in that pioneer process, they're going to fail and your pioneering process is going to fail. But if you've already gone through that year that you talked about and built some of that foundational work and figured out some of the creative methods that work for your product inside of these companies, and then you can add those those folks in as accelerants to your enterprise sales team, that's where they're probably are going to be the most valuable and also level up those pioneers who were there in the first place who might not have that skill set. But if you try to bring them in first, then then you might fail and, and not really understand why. And, you know, I'm typecasting a little bit. You can find folks who've got like traditional big company, big Rolodex, big salary enterprise experience that can be nimble. That being nimble, that's actually the must have. That's way, way more important than the Rolodex. The Rolodex is nice because, as you said, I mean, it's accelerant. So we've talked a lot about selling to the enterprise, how you pick these accounts out, the, the team that you need to put together in order to move up market. The other thing that comes next, right, is servicing these upmarket accounts. And again, from my experience at Drift, that is also a massively different animal in terms of expectations and then how you build out things like capacity models for how many people you need to service these accounts and how many accounts they can work at a given time, right? Like all of those dynamics change. And so I'm curious, as you think about everything that happens post-sale and you look back at your experiences, what would be the biggest ingredients for you if you were building out an enterprise customer success team or services team as you know, you're know you taking card up market? Empathy, actually. It's empathy and maturity. 
you don't necessarily have to have had that enterprise customer success experience before, but if you have strong empathy towards your customer, if you know how to really, again, build that relationship, understand their needs, be able to take no's and understand the why behind a no, generally speaking, you're going to be fine. If you treat it as customer success is a machine and capacity planning is all about ratios and seeing how many people I can load up an account with, or excuse me, how many accounts I can load a person up with, you know, again, that that works when you're in SMB and mid-market. That pretty much always fails when you go to enterprise. The strategy component and the relationship component of, of the CS team, function, or person becomes way more important when you're going up market. You know, I'll give you an example from, from Quantcast. Anytime we serviced or supported really, really big companies, they treated us as partners. And our kick-ass, really, really great CSMs or account managers, they thought about it as partnerships as well. They were effectively the thought partner to the customer. It wasn't just about selling advertising to them. It was understanding what was their media strategy. What was the portfolio of products that Quantcast was a part of? What were their customers that they were trying to sell to? And how could we actually be better about that? Everything about what I just said, that takes a ton of time and investment to really understand your customer's business and your customer's customer, and then think through how you can help them. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort, which is why making it so that they can actually be set up for success, aka they, they have small portfolios, that ends up being really important. It was really funny. We had an example this week, I think of something similar to what you're talking about, where the partnership just becomes so evident better than any CSAT score or anything could possibly be. We had two customers actually, who named their drift bot after the person on the implementation team. We have this amazing woman on our implementation team. Her name is Robin. And two different customers named their bot Robin. And so like, if that is not a phenomenal signal that that thing is going well and they are completely bought in and bought into that person, not just Drift. Also, the other thing too is for that partnership to exist, I feel like it's just as much about the person on the other side as it is about the product, right? If something does go wrong with the product in one of those scenarios, guaranteed they're going to have a hell of a lot more patience and give a lot more leeway to someone like Robin than they would in a scenario where they didn't feel that same level of partnership. Totally, totally. Because by the way, things are definitely going to go wrong. That's the beauty of enterprise. It's so complicated. You're going to have fires and more than likely when you're going up market, you're actually not ready for it. You're, you're selling a little bit of a dream. So that empathy up front and in that investment in, in the relationship and empathy, it just pays dividends. I, I'm thinking through this because you and I both were on the customer side a lot right? And I bet you we know the same people. And you know, from from stops before Drift, who are the people who were just insanely good as partners for you, who thought at a level that was like legitimately and authentic, what your needs were and how you could be better at what you did. Ben Chen at Clary, like he's an awesome example. I've, I've worked with him now three times where this is a guy who the night before Thanksgiving will get on a call with you to scope a demo to help you sell it to your boss. Like that's the level of empathy and commitment that you expect and want when you're playing at that level. What's funny is it, it goes both ways because when you build those partnerships, they don't go away. Like when when those folks win, you then celebrate their wins with you because they, they effectively are part of your team. 
You know you have a true partner when Anil is rattling off Ben Chen from Clary's name off the top of his head. So shout out to you, Ben, and also shout out to Robin on the Drift team. True partnership is really tough to find, and it takes a lot of time invested on both sides. I particularly liked Anil's advice to understand your customers' customers. And what he has found is that a lot of those partnerships and a lot of that understanding can start with a single dedicated champion. And I was curious how Anil had leveraged partnerships like this in the past to grow use cases inside of an organization from just one geo or one line of business to many, many more. It's a really, really good point that you mentioned, because when you talk to really killer enterprise sales execs or AAEs, almost always, or to T, they're, they're going to tell you that what you just said, that's like eight out of 10 times what your enterprise deals are about. They're, they're toehold strategies where you start with a business line or a geo that effectively allows you to de-risk your product or service with the prospect or customer. You prove your worth there, and then over time, you build and you grow. In every one of those cases, whether it was at Atlassian, when we looked at our enterprise segment and, and selling the stack to them, Quantcast, when we were going at like top paid retailers, it, it was the same thing over and over again, which is find somebody who will be your champion, who quite frankly is going to be willing to take a risk on you. Make it worthwhile for them, right? Deliver that value. Make them your champion by them succeeding because they've got you as part of their game. And then over time, build that relationship. And it's almost organic. Naturally, that becomes where there are other opportunities for us. The relationship piece is so, so key. The little things like, and it's not just QBRs. Like this is where us on the ops side, we can structure these things with QBRs and check-ins and all that other good stuff. You got to be authentic about it. You've got to really, really care about your customer. And thus your communication becomes, how do I make my customer successful? Before we go, at the end of each show, we're going to ask each guest the same lightning round of questions. Ready? Here we go. Best book you've read in the last six months? Pass. Let me think on that one. All right. I'll come back. Favorite part about working in ops? You get to build. Least favorite part about working in ops? Oh my God. It's (laughs) underappreciated. Always, 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 always. There's always one more thing. Always. Better, better, never done. Someone who impacted you getting the job you have today? Al Chesser, the godfather at Accorda. <laughs> All right. Any any good story behind that? I, he's literally the godfather. You know, it was, it was like I, I, I prospected into him for months and months and months. He wouldn't return any of my calls. Finally, I get a hold of him. And it's a 20-minute conversation. And it's one of those things where when you know, you know, for him and for me. That's awesome. Found my book, by the way. Win forever, Pete Carroll. Oh, interesting. I hated Pete Carroll when he was a college coach. And now, now that I'm in a capacity where you know, you're, you're coaching and leading and managing, I actually love his philosophy, which is, I mean, his philosophy is win forever, but it's, it translates for me. It's do the best work of your life together. Yeah. And also just, I mean, the guy's what, like 69 years old, something like that, and just brings unbelievable energy to what he does with a bunch of 20 year olds, you know, every single day. It's very inspiring. If you love what you do, it's not work. I think above else, that's something you just see with him. And and I know for me, like, that's what I love about ops. We get to build, but quite genuinely for me, 
I love building and I love creating and I love actually scaling things. And our roles in ops are so instrumental to that. I'll have to pick that one up. All right, last one for you. One piece of advice for people who want to have your job someday. Have a growth mindset more than anything. Walk into every, every, every situation thinking about what can I learn from the people around me? How can I push myself? What don't I know? And, and, and from there, good things happen. Like, don't be afraid to ask those questions. If it's in front of a CEO or CFO or, you know, an SDR, it doesn't matter. You can always learn from the people around you. If you've got that growth mindset, if you stay curious, good things happen. Thanks so much to Anil for joining us on this week's episode of Operations and shout out to Jason Phillips, another member of our enterprise team at Drift for helping to make the connection. Thanks so much, Jason. If you liked what you heard on today's episode, make sure that you have subscribed to the show. A new episode comes out every other Friday and it'll show up in your feed automatically. And if you really liked what you heard, please leave us a six-star review on Apple Podcasts, six-star reviews only. Quick scheduling thing for everybody, because two weeks from today is going to be the day after Thanksgiving. We will not have an episode on the 27th, so we'll be back with a new episode on December 11th. Thanks so much for listening. That's going to do it for me. We'll see you next time.